This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today on Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, and today we're going to talk about healthy food choices and the good, the bad, and the misunderstood about carbs, fats, and fad diets. Joining us is Ms. Emily Rubin. She's a registered dietitian and licensed dietitian and nutritionist. She's the director of clinical dietetics for the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Jefferson for over 19 years. She counsels both pediatric and adult patients for a wide range of medical conditions, celiac disease, food allergies, and much more. She teaches, she's in research, and she provides outreach programs, and she teaches residents, medical students, dietetic interns. She's co-authored nationally recognized trials, one of which won a first prize at the Delaware Valley Society for GI Endoscopy. And three out of the past four years, she's been the best Philly dietitian. She writes for phillyvoice.com, and you can see her on the Fox 29, 6ABC. She's everywhere, and we're lucky she is. Welcome, Emily. So great to have you today. Yes, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. Uh, and I should mention, most importantly, she's the busy mom of two very handsome 15-year-old twin boys who also love to cook. I think I need to come and get some cooking lessons from you, Emily. <laughs> it's I one of my shortcomings. <laughs> I mean, definitely, it's amazing how important cooking is and how it's such a missed um you know, missed lesson that people, you know, just missed for, for adults, for my patients, for even children. I wanted to, I thought over the, diff, over the COVID break, whenever, you know, kids weren't, um, you know, when they were at home, I thought about like putting together cooking lessons to teach the kids, you know, via Zoom, all the different students, just so they had an understanding and life lessons. 
Yeah, it's such a great idea. Well, we have so many good things to cover today, and I have to promise our listeners, if we don't cover them all, you are coming back if you would be so kind. So Emily, let's start with eggs. That's a big thing in the news. Do eggs really raise our cholesterol levels? So let's first talk about the breakdown of an egg because a lot of people don't really realize what's the component of an egg. So egg whites contain the protein. There's absolutely no cholesterol in the egg white. That's just purely the protein. And the yolk has the vitamins. It has minerals. Um, it has vitamin E, omega-3 fatty acids. And that's where the cholesterol is found. So um, interestingly enough, and you know, the studies go back and forth about avoiding eggs, having eggs, don't having eggs. But interestingly enough, it actually has been noted that it's the, not necessarily the cholesterol found in, in an egg that can raise the cholesterol. It's the other foods that you, the, the other cholesterol and high fat foods that you're eating with those eggs, such as bacon, sausage, cheese, muffins, donuts, um, butter. All those particular foods have a much higher impact on, on raising cholesterol versus the actual egg alone. Um, and there's also been um, studies that have shown that eating an egg up to five times a week, meaning one egg every day, has not had an impact on cholesterol. Good um, to know. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, oh, okay. I don't know if you, you want to add anything else, but the other option, too, or the other newer thinking is there was always a guideline for cholesterol, according to the um, American College of Cardiology, to have less than 300 milligrams of cholesterol per day. They actually took that guideline out. So there's no, there's no more target for cholesterol guidelines, which is really important. So and and I still have, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I'm listening and absorbing everything. This is great. So, I mean, I still have patients that will come to me and say, you know, I'm still really concerned. You know, my parents have heart disease or had a heart attack. Um, I really don't want to eat eggs. So I say, you know what, let's, let's, let's moderate or let, let's find a happy medium. And we could do, you know, one egg yolk and one egg white, or you can buy liquid egg substitutes. And I have a great recipe of combining uh, the liquid egg substitute with some vegetable spinach, your favorite vegetables and making a little frittata. And that gives you the benefit of and the taste of the egg with all the nutrients. Mm-hmm. And if you have any recipes or suggestions like that, where could our listeners find that frittata recipe? Yeah, that is on the, the Philly Voice um, website. It's also on, I have a, an Instagram. It's at um, Emily Rubin RD. And then it's also on Jefferson has a blog or the Nexus um, website that they list all the different recipes and things that I've put together over the years. So, you know, what should, we should do is put all of those options on our website so our listeners, listeners could visit phillyvoice.com or your blog or the Jeff Nexus website. Wonderful. So while we're on the subject of fats, we know that not all fats are created equal. Can you tell us what the difference is between the good fats and the bad fats? I, and I always hate the, the terminology good and bad because it's, just, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's a little bit negative. We could say healthy and unhealthy maybe is a little bit better. Right. My thought process is always in moderation. So the thinking is some people think you have to avoid all fat. And fats are actually essential to help absorb protein and carbohydrates. Um, certain vitamins are not absorbed without fat, and they're the fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamin A and vitamin D, which is extremely essential, which tends to be very deficient in most of our population. Vitamin E and, and vitamin K are all really important. So there's the two types of fats that are the quote-unquote the unhealthy or the ones we really have to watch. It's the saturated fat, which is only found in animal-based protein, and the trans fat, um, which they've actually removed a lot of the trans fats from foods, but the difference between the trans fat and the saturated fat is, A, the trans fat, the foods are actually, um, they're all the fats that are solid at room temperature, so butter, margarine, uh, pork, lard, things that are Crisco that it's at room temperature. But what they studied was people consuming trans fat, not only did it increase their 
bad cholesterol, but it actually decreased their good cholesterol, known as the HDL. And we want that good cholesterol to be high because that is heart protecting. So, so it's a um, double whammy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Double whammy, right. So in general, they're both under the same um, sort of types of fats, where the saturated fats also the same as the mm-hmm. trans fat, which is the, the high-fat cuts of meat, the dark chicken, whole milk, butter, coconut oil as well. Um, we want to try to watch out for them. This is really interesting because, you know, people love coconut oil. I've heard a lot about it. So coconut oil is the only, um, it's the only fruit that actually has saturated fat in it, where saturated fat is only found in animal-based products, and here it's in coconut oil. So I always say if you want to have coconut oil, you know, to sort of use it as a hand cream or, you know, a moisturizer. But the fats we really want to try to increase in our diet is the monounsaturated fats, which help decrease cholesterol and help decrease our risk, um, uh, you know, made to help decrease our risk for heart disease, and that's our nuts, our almonds, cashews, pecans, all the different, um, the, the olive oil, peanut butter, almond butter, avocado, and the even better fats that are out there are the polyunsaturated fats, and they're known as the essential fats. That means our body can't make them. We need to eat them or need to, they need to be eaten in order to absorb these fats. And that's the big omega-3 fats, which is um, the, the salmon and, and herring and trout and all those higher-fat tuna, those higher-fat fishes that are just so healthy and beneficial. And other, for my patients that are vegans um, the other or vegetarians, the other option is if you want to incorporate these fats, you can get them in through flaxseed, walnuts, um, the thinking behind, though, a plant, the plant-based polyunsaturated fats is you don't absorb as much of the omega-3 as you would with the, uh, the, the animal or fish-based um, polyunsaturated fat. But still both healthy and uh, both great options to incorporate into your diet. And so the message there is to pick canola oil if you're going to get uh, oil for cooking. And I'm relieved that you're talking about cashews. I always thought that was high in fat. And one last thing I want to reemphasize that you mentioned, it's the dark meat in chicken and turkey. Gosh, if you buy ground uh, turkey thinking, okay, I'm buying poultry, that may have more fat than 92% lean beef, am I right? And and uh, really it, it take it off the skin. Yes, I, I have actually, I mean, it could have anywhere from, you know, 22 grams of fat where the 93% lean ground beef has 13 grams of fat. So mm-hmm. it is, it is definitely, you have to make sure it says ground turkey breast. If it just says ground turkey, they tend to grind the dark meat and the skin in it, which again, increases the saturated fat and, and the calories. No skin. Thank you, Emily. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, more on carbs and lots of good information. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. Welcome back. We're here with Emily Rubin from Jefferson. Emily, we just talked about fats and making sure that we avoid poultry skin and not too much dark meat from turkey and chicken and all the good things you said will be posted on our website. So let's move on to carbs. Will carbs always cause weight gain? In theory, carbs is the most easily metabolized food type. So if you eliminate carbs, then your body will go ahead and break down fat for energy. Tell us about that. Um, so that kind of breaking down fat for energy is, is studied in those higher fat, um, <clears throat> low-carb diets, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But let's talk a little bit about the benefits of carbohydrates. Our bodies are meant to eat carbs because carbohydrates is what our body stores for energy, but it's carbohydrates alone isn't going to cause weight. It's the kind of carbohydrates. So it's those, the white refined carbohydrates, such as cookies, cakes, chips, donuts. They're the, they're the white refined carbohydrates that could contribute to weight gain if eaten in excess or eaten in, 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 a, in, a, in a high quantity. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, my patients will tell me, oh, my God, I'm not going to eat a banana and I'm not going to eat carrots because they're too high in carbohydrate. And I look at them like they're crazy. No, that's a healthy carbohydrate. You want to eat those foods um, because they're high in fiber. They have colon uh, cancer health and they have um, they have extra fiber and they have, you know, antioxidants and things that are really important that will give you energy. There's also B vitamins that are really important in, in carbohydrates. And interestingly enough, when studies actually compare after a year, the low carb diets versus the high carb diet, sort of calorie controlled at the end of a year, they all still lost the same amount of weight. And the other issue with following these sort of higher uh, car- or higher fat, lower uh, carbohydrate diets is, it's, it's a temporary weight loss. It's not long-term, so it's really hard to stick to a diet. So we really want to try to, you know, eat the right kinds of carbs, again, eating like the higher-fiber bread, the higher-fiber pastas. They make them like a bean pasta. I, I put together like a Mediterranean pasta salad using, um, you know, the, the different chickpea pasta and chickpeas. Um, I mean, there's so many different kinds of alternatives now that are healthier options, such as, again, the the bean pastas and things like that, and even the high-fiber breads, which are extremely healthy. And and you don't feel like you're restricting yourself. I I don't like when patients are going to tell me I'm not going to eat bread. I'm like, well, there's so many options for you to eat. Right. And as you say, the fiber from whole grains and cereals and um, whole grain breads, Fiber helps, we think, decrease the risk of colon cancer, which is the number two cause of cancer death. Um, And really, as you always say, any diet that eliminates an entire food group is a red flag that you're going to be missing some nutrients. It's all about balance. And we should say, too, we we can't... um, we have to, can't say enough that if patients are going to try to lose weight or change their diet, talk to your physician. Because you eliminate this or that, we need to monitor your kidney function, your uh, potassium levels. We don't want you to get dehydrated. So I think that's a basic that you always, I hear you always tell patients that. So let's talk a little about, the, uh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The keto diet, that gets so much attention. I know you've told me that over a million Google searches a month, and we said earlier, if you eliminate carbs, the goal is to metabolize fat. And you explained that so well. But when that happens, your body's in a state called ketosis. That's where the name keto diet uh, starts. So it's high in fat, am I right? Moderate with proteins and low in carbs. Um, let's go some of the pros and cons with the keto diet. Yeah, so the keto diet, again, you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's a quick fix. You know, if I I can eat as much as I want, there's no portion. Go eat as much um, oil as you want. Go eat as much butter as you want, Um, as much cream cheese. You can eat as many fats as in the more saturated fat and the higher the fat, the better, because we actually want to put your body again into this uh, ketosis because we want to burn uh, burning fat. And there's ways to test that people test the urine. Um, it's been said that it's not exactly accurate, but some of the, the side effects that even patients have come to me, oh, my God, I, after two weeks, I'm so tired. I feel nauseous. I'm constipated. Um, I have no energy. You know, if you're going to follow a diet that's going to make you feel not well, that's already a sign right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of the pros, too, in terms of this keto diet where some of the studies are now showing, again, it, it might help decrease, um, you know, diabetes. Um, and that definitely helps with, with, you know, at least weight loss, the temporary weight loss. And the reason why is because if you're eating all that fat, um, again, the butter, the cream cheese, the coconut oil, the eggs, the red meat. I mean, how many pieces of steak can you eat at one time without being like, OK, I can't eat anymore? You actually physically feel full. So then the whole point is it winds up being a calorie deficit. 
So we do see the uh, the short term, you know, weight loss. But again, the minute I say the minute a patient brings that back a piece of bread or a brownie or ice cream or something, you see the weight shoot up again because our bodies just aren't used to using fat as fuel. Again, going back to using carbohydrates as fuel. And the studies the most effective for the keto diet has been um, children and, and epilepsy. They it has shown to decrease uh, the amount of seizures. I actually have had a patient come to me all the way from you know, Atlantic City who I did do the keto diet, sort of a modified keto diet to help keep her seizures under control. We definitely had some positive effects. But you know, they were weighing the pros and cons because it's, really, it's, a, it's a medical condition that we're really trying to treat through diet. Right. And and I also wonder, too, unlimited fat, even if it keeps your calorie count down and you lose weight, don't you run the risk of the yo-yo diet? As you say, how long can you say, I can live without brownies and and toast, but if you have nothing on which you put the butter, what's the point? Are you going to eat butter off a spoon? Probably not. I grew up in a house. My mother used to say, through the Depression, you knew you were going to make it if you could afford butter. So my mother put butter on everything, even on her spaghetti under the sauce. And we grew up eating butter on our sandwiches, both, you know, and I've gotten away from that knowing it's not good. But if you um, eat all that fat, one of the things we worry about as GI docs is fat in the liver. And if uh, separate from how much fat you eat, if you yo-yo diet and you gain a lot of weight, that could put fat in your liver. If you lose weight too quickly, same thing. So that's one of the things. And and maybe you could also tell us a little bit about the keto flu, a little more detail about that. Was interesting. Right. So that's, again, basically you feel nauseous, you feel tired, um, you have no energy because, again, your body's just using carbohydrates, not fat, as your as your, um, as your energy source. So it's just mm-hmm. something that you're not used to. Plus, eating all that protein and fat, more so fat, high-fat protein, you actually can become dehydrated. You're not drinking enough fluid because you have to remember carbohydrates such as fruits and vegetables. You have to remember the keto diet is not only cutting out um, carbohydrates, it's cutting out fruit, it's cutting out m- m- most vegetables, it's cutting out, uh, you know, dairy, like yogurt. Um, so it's cutting out three food groups, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll, I give an example. This is my, my classic case. My, I have this, this wonderful patient who is an athlete, and she needed to maintain weight to run her triathlons, and she was so hungry. So she went on the keto diet, and she would eat, I don't know, 12 eggs in the morning. She was just eating an absorbent amount of, of fat and, and cholesterol um, and just saturated fats, and, you know, wasn't feeling great, but at least um, she wasn't necessarily gaining weight. She wasn't necessarily losing weight. She was 120 pounds, so either way. So she's like, she did this for two years, and she's like, you know what, let me just get, she was 30 years old, let me just get blood work done. It's been a while. Her total cholesterol was over 500. Her LDL, her LDL was 454. Her HDL wasn't, was just borderline normal, you know, 55. Um, her triglycerides were good. Her liver functions were high. Everything was extremely out of whack. And here, this is, you know, 120 pound, uh, you know, female athlete that had these numbers. So I jokingly said, if the next race, you may not make that race. You, know, you may yeah, not have yeah. a heart attack. I mean, who knows what could happen? So, you know, we pulled, she was so upset, you know, so worried. I pulled her off that diet and we did the Mediterranean diet for three or four months, which we're going to talk about, I know, in our next segment. And she actually, her weight still maintained. Her numbers totally decreased. You know, her cholesterol was a little bit over 200, I mean, after three months. And her LDL was, you know, 130, which was still a little bit slightly high. But the fact that it decreased by that much in a short period of time was knowing that that, that diet did not work for her body. And she would never yeah. know it without getting blood tests. So case closed. Life is a balance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why even in mm-hmm. grade school, they teach you to take from all the different food groups. So that brings us to the fasting and detox diets. Again, I know for a fact that um, certain products are not um, regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. And some of these diets, I, as I, 
I did a year of fellowship in nutrition. Um, I don't near, near, nearly what you know, but I remember reading that some of these diets contain natural, quote unquote, herbs. Well, the laxative Senecot is made from the herb Cascara Senegrata. So if that's in a, a quote unquote diet and you evacuate a lot, you're going to feel lighter and lose weight for the first week, maybe. But tell us a little bit about the uh, yeah, fasting I mean, and detox diets. Right. I mean, everybody, again, wants that quick fix. You know, what's a jump start I could do? So, I mean, issues, again, it can cause dehydration. It can decrease your potassium, especially if it has laxative effect. It can cause dizziness. The key, none of these detox um, diets or fasting diets are regulated by the FDA. So whatever herb that's in there, nobody has regulated to see if it's actually safe mm-hmm. for you to, to, to consume. And the big red flag that we've actually worked with in our fatty liver center is green tea extracts, like yes. excessive, am- excessive amounts put in these particular beverages because, you know, they help speed up, you know, known to speed up metabolism and, you know, be, the, be mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory. And it actually, in one of our patients, it did cause um, she needed to get a liver transplant from taking too much green tea extract. And it was actually documented um, in, in the Philadelphia Inquirer. It was a story done about five years ago about her. And she was 45 years old and needed a new liver from following uh, one of these diets. So it can be very, very scary. Um, and I always say if you want to do a detox, a real detox, you know, eat five, eat fresh fruits, eat vegetables, eat whole grains, um, drink more water, just get rid of the processed foods and you're doing a naturally healthy detox. Exactly. So what would you say is the best diet? We have about 30 seconds. We can take this into the mm-hmm. next segment, but right, the right. best diet to treat overweight or obesity. Right. So before I get to what U.S. News and World Report says, the best diet is an individualized, personalized diet that's going to meet a patient's lifestyle long term, nothing short term. You don't want to right. do anything, you know, that's going to last five minutes. So it's nice. The, the U.S. News and Report, World Report, as of 2020, um, recommended Weight Watchers because it's yeah. not eliminating the food group. It gives you allowed to have all food groups. They give you a certain amount of points. They sort of adjust the points according to the newer thinking of what helps uh, weight loss. You know, yeah. there's somebody that follows you through phone line yeah. and, and calls you and focuses on portion control. It can be a little bit difficult because, um, like, some of my patients get confused with the points, and then they add back points. You know, that could be confusing, so depending on the generation, sometimes the patients will bring me the Weight Watchers, and then I can work with them with it so they understand exactly what's going on or right. why had they lost enough weight. Yeah. You know, I sort of modify it to their lifestyle, and that is the most important successful weight loss program. Beautiful. Let's take a little break, and then we'll be right back. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. We're back with Emily Rubin, dietitian from Jefferson University Hospital. Emily it's such great advice and I agree I've always told my patients I can't mention any particular product but I I do admire the Weight Watchers program because it's sensible and it's teaching a person good habits and would you say that the overall goal for weight loss uh, so that people don't yo-yo diet and lose or gain too quickly is about a pound a week or you told me one percent of your weight per week is a safe way to go right so the 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 theory is the slower you lose it the longer it's going to stay off and they've mm-hmm. shown multiple studies with that. So again, it is about that. You don't want to lose more than 1% of your body weight or, and or one to two pounds per week. So if you're 200 pounds, you'd want to lose no more than two pounds per week. Yeah. And that's if you find something, let's say that's uh, depends on the person, maybe a can of soda, what's that like 500 calories. So if you eliminate, say, okay, if I get rid of that one thing, um, 
I can lose a pound a week. It, it's it's all about getting monitored by your doctor and meeting somebody wonderful like you. So oh, we talked you. about losing weight, but just in overall healthy living, what's your favorite or what's the best diet? Yeah, so the diet that's been the best studied for over the years for many different multiple disease conditions such as, uh, you know, may benefit cancer, weight control, diabetes, mind, brain, Alzheimer's is the Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. Because what this diet does is it incorporates, again, not eliminating food groups, but it incorporates uh, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, the healthy fats that we had discussed, the polio and, and, and uh, monounsaturated fats. You know, you're having fish, chicken, beans, eggs. Um, you're having, you know, moderate amounts of the, of the lean, uh, of the low-fat dairy products and limited intakes of, of, of red meat. And also the other component is the behavior and the lifestyle component where you're sharing meals with families. I mean, how many of us are standing up, you know, and eating before we have to take our kids, you know, to the next sporting event or, or just you miss that family time because everybody's on different schedules. And, and being physically active, you know, walking um, is really important as well. And then enjoying the glass of wine, you know, the Mediterranean do have that, you know, one or two glasses of wine per week or per day, I think, depending on, you know, your diagnosis with your physician, you would want to ask if the red wine, you know, is still beneficial, if, you know, if you have high cholesterol or if you have fatty liver or anything to make sure you can still have that. Sure. And one glass doesn't mean a tumbler. It means about five ounces. And as you right. say, in Europe, they probably walk to the store every, every day or every other day to get their food. And that's part of the picture, too, activity. And if COVID um, has any silver lining, it's that we've had more family time together. I'm so grateful for that. So you told me, too, that um, that that the Mediterranean diet includes olive oil. And it's the same with um, the study that looked at Olive oil is the benefit of Mediterranean, but if you add nuts, I thought that was interesting. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, so they actually it was Lancet in 2000, in 2019. It was 6,000 adults mm-hmm. over um, five years, and it, it was actually patients with type two diabetics. So they compared patients that were on the Mediterranean diet and they had olive oil versus the Mediterranean diet and adding more nuts to it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the patients that had the nuts. Um, actually um, lost a little bit more weight and also had a smaller waistline. And really the reason why is because if you're nuts, you're, you're, it has protein, it has fiber, you're chewing your calories, where if you're just adding a lot of olive oil to, um, to a lot of your foods, you might not be feeling as full because um, it's sort of a different, you're, you're chewing versus um, sort of, I would say drinking, but adding sort of a condiment, which you just might not feel as satiated than you do with the actual nuts. Exactly. And um, some of it is just the experience of eating and feeling like I just ate something solid. Um, and it's it's interesting too. As a GI doc, I see a lot of people who are labeled with irritable bowel, which is kind of a general term for your belly is temperamental, but uh, nothing serious. I always sit the person down and go through. Maybe this is lactose intolerance, or maybe somebody's overlooking celiac disease. Let's talk about lactose intolerance a little bit because I think that's so common. It's in oh probably close to seventy percent of Mediterranean. Uh, uh, heredity patients, um, a lot of African-American patients, and a lot right. of um, uh, Asians, probably over 90% of people of Asian descent. Right. So it is, it's, it's extremely common and it is an intolerance. So it's, it's, a, it's not attacking, you know, your immune system. It's just you eat that food and you can develop uh, bloating, gas, nausea, diarrhea, anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours after consuming, you know, a glass of milk, um, you know, some ice cream, yogurt. Basically, when you look at lactose, lactose is the sugar that's found in these particular foods. The most amount of lactose is in a glass of milk. It has about 12 grams of lactose per cup, where yogurt and ice cream is anywhere from 4 to 5 grams of, of lactose. 
And people have different um, degrees of lactose intolerance where some people may be able to consume um, yogurt where they can't consume milk. And it's also the timing. A lot of times if you consume yogurt with another food or with a meal, it digests a little bit more easily than having that lactose on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. But there's there's so many different options out there. I mean, they make these lactose-free milks, such as ones called Fairlife, or another one, you know, just the lactate milk. Um, and sometimes if you're really severely lactose intolerant, that milk, even though it's 100% lactose reduced, still isn't enough to help you digest that particular milk sugar. So then the alternatives are the almond milk and coconut milk and oat milk. The thinking, and they all have the same amount of calcium. They all have about 300 milligrams of calcium um, in an eight-ounce glass of milk. And basically per day, you're supposed to have about anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium per day. So that's, that's actually a lot of calcium. The difference is there's just no protein in those milks. And if you want the protein option, they have the pea protein, which is really the, the hot new um, uh, veg, uh, vegetarian or uh, vegan-based protein, and which is really easily digested. Patients really have no uh, GI symptoms with it, and, and soy milk protein. Yeah. And so basically for our listeners, again, this is not an allergy or an autoimmune it means that you're born with not enough of the chemical called lactase that breaks down and metabolizes lactose. So some people might have a little intolerance and they can get through a piece of pizza or two, but they can't have ice cream for dessert. And if you, I always say to my listeners and my patients, if you notice um, a certain food and you look at it and say, oh, you know, I always ask my patients, do you drink milk? No, I hate it. There's a reason why some people have a natural um, dislike for a certain food or, or beverage and it's because maybe their system isn't built to handle it so that's important to say too tell me I about to mention to the yeah, cheese yeah. though so a lot, a lot of people get confused too. Mm. everyone i can't have cheese so if you actually look at a cheese wrapper cheese is cheddar provolone swiss if you look at the wrapper and you look at the total carbohydrates and the total sugars and if it's zero or less than one you can have that product it has absolutely no lactose in it so cheddar cheese know. provolone mm-hmm. cheddar you know um even even some of the, the mozzarella cheese, if there's no sugars in the carbohydrates or no carbohydrates, there's no lactose in it. So I tell many of my patients, one of the first couple foods to bring back in if they're worried is to try this, and most of them can tolerate it. That is great advice. And not all lactate milk is 100% free. Am I right? So if you drink enough of it, you can become symptomatic. So if you're not allergic to nuts, as you say, almond milk or some of the uh, soy milk has the added benefit of protein. So celiac disease, oh my goodness, in the news, so misunderstood. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so celiac is an autoimmune disease where um, gluten is, is, is the allergen, which is found in, in wheat, rye, and barley, actually attacks the, the, uh, the small intestine, causing you know, many kinds of symptoms that um, can cause gas, bloating, diarrhea. But interestingly enough, 50% of patients with celiac disease don't have those typical symptoms. They may be anemic. They may have hair loss. They may have um, osteoporosis. I had a 29-year-old with osteoporosis who was, you know, undiagnosed, you know, celiac. Um, miscarriages, you know, we've, we've done a study at Jefferson showing that uh, infertility and miscarriages having undiagnosed celiac. So there's so many different um, conditions, um, you know, associated Related. with celiac disease. But it yeah. has to be, um, it's about one in 100 people, and it has to be diagnosed by a physician. You can't self-diagnose. You have to, as you would know, Dr. Richie, since you diagnosed it, you have to do a blood test and then, you know, an endoscopy with the biopsy. Well, you know, I want to add in here very quickly. 
your, your GI tract, I call it I-95, your stomach receives a meal, turns it up, and little by little, it goes into the small intestine. I call that the sponge, S for small intestine, S for sponge. And that's where the glands absorb all the good nutrients. And so gluten is actually a protein in wheat, barley, and rye. And that protein is the enemy. If you have, if a person has celiac disease, the glands that are supposed to sponge and absorb all the good nutrients flatten out and just rebel, they go to sleep. If you take the gluten away, then the glands do their job again. So if you're not absorbing iron, you get anemia. If you're not absorbing calcium, your bones get weak and they break more easily. And like you say, not everybody gets the signal of diarrhea or bloatedness. They might just show up with iron deficiency anemia. We look for celiac. They might show up with really weak bones. We look for, yeah, so we do an upper GI endoscopy, take samples of those uh, the tissue and find it. And it's really surprising sometimes. Big in Italian and Irish people too. And, and this might be a good point, Emily, to talk about the difference between an intolerance, say lactose intolerance, right. food allergy, and celiac. Um, I, you know, well, I wanted to, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to mention that the only, so the only treatment for celiac disease, no medication, it's a hundred percent gluten-free diet. There's no like, mm-hmm. hey, can I have a piece of cake? You know, it's not a weight loss diet. You have to eat. Um, gluten-free, gluten-free products. You have to, you know, make sure when you go out to eat that you're not getting any cross-contamination. I've had patients, multiple, you know, get sick or their, or their blood tests don't get better. So there really is no option except the gluten-free diet. Um, mm-hmm. And we are actually doing some, some research at Jefferson on this as well um, mm-hmm. for a, a medication that might be coming out. So the difference between, a, again, a disease where that the gluten is the allergen and that's attacking your immune system, where a food intolerance like lactose intolerance and the other condition is non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So basically all the tests that Dr. Ritchie mentioned are all negative, but yet when you eat gluten, you still get bloated, you get foggy brain, you get diarrhea. The treatment is still exactly the same as a gluten-free diet. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you know, again, you would follow gluten-free diet, but you may be able to have a piece of bread every so often and feel yeah. fine. Or you might be able to have, you know, some cereal and things like that. Again, it's all based on the amount you can fit into your diet. And in our final minute, I just want to say that food allergies, if there's a food you eat and you get itchy inside your ears or your throat gets itchy, please, please see an allergist because your body builds up a memory to, if you try strawberries or, you know, what's a common uh, food causing allergies, Emily, bananas, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the eight major food allergens in the United States, it's milk, egg, peanut, tree nuts, wheat, fish and crusty and like shellfish. And the newer one is the sesame allergy. That just actually started. Yes. I always do this back, I always do these food allergies when it's back to school time, you know, for the kids, because sure. you know, hopefully when, if they go back to school, but you know, they're in the school and they have to watch all these different foods. And we have to recommend all the different alternatives. Many schools can't even serve peanut butter. They serve um, sunflower butter right. as, as the option, or it's, you know, wow. you can buy that as well. But what people need to hear is that if your body is exposed to it, the first time you might be a little itchy, the next time maybe a rash whatever time your body has built up enough white blood cells or soldiers to attack, um, it could, it could mean your life. So if you have symptoms, when you eat food, either instant heartburn or itchy or rash, see an allergist and get an EpiPen, see a doctor and be sure it's not a food allergy that could cost you your life. Let's take a little break and we'll be back to hear more from Emily Rubin. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And thank you for returning with Emily Rubin from Jefferson. 
Emily, let's talk about probiotics. I know they're not regulated and the label often doesn't match what's in the product. Tell us a little bit about probiotics. So probiotics are basically, again, this miracle um, recommendation enzyme pill, you know, um, over the counter that, you know, for 10 years ago was was going to basically help our digestive systems. And throughout the years, we started to see some cons and some issues with them. But what they technically are, it's through the gut friendly bacteria that our body, the good bacteria that our intestinal tracts might be missing. Um, and, you know, like for instance, if you've gotten, if you've been on an antibiotic or you've had a stomach virus and basically you've lost some of that good bacteria, taking a probiotic may help benefit, um, you know, antibiotic associated diarrhea. It's been shown some, with some infants with colic and also um, irritable bowel syndrome with constipation and ulcerative colitis. But again, mm-hmm. it's hard to know which ones are effective. There have been multiple studies with certain probiotics. So if you want to, you know, talk to your physician or dietitian to give you the ones that are recommended that at least have shown some benefit. Um, and they come in many forms, refrigerated, freeze-dried, powder, capsules, chewable, gummies. You know, we've seen it in lots of different forms. The thing you want to notice, though, is they ha- with the refrigerated ones, it's a very temperature-sensitive product. So if your temperature goes above, um, you know, 45 degrees or becomes freezing, the probiotic has actually died. So when you see, like, frozen yogurt with live probiotics, actually, the, the probiotics are not alive in, those, in that frozen yogurt or even in that capsule if it's become frozen. Um, and sometimes, like, you know, for instance, I talked to a patient yesterday who had um, irritable bowel diarrhea and she had tried a probiotic and it made her symptoms worse. So then absolutely stop it. Um, if you take a probiotic and it has no change in your in your symptoms um, and you could try a different one because they all have different strains of bacteria and your body may respond differently to it. And another thing I always recommend, too, is a food um is you know, trying to get your probiotics through through food sources. So there's sauerkraut, you know, yogurt, or even even the uh, the plant based yogurts, miso, tempeh, tempeh um, kimchi, kombucha are all different sources of, of probiotic foods. And the most important thing to really figure out with all these different things that we have discussed, if it's whether weight loss or if it's um, you know food, uh, if it's you know these food intolerances, is really to keep a food diary. It's old mm-hmm. fashioned, but you know you write down. I I see it. You write down everything you eat, the time you ate it. And your symptom, and I just being you're practicing for so long, I can find sometimes the trigger food that's either preventing your weight loss or that's causing your GI symptom. So, exactly. Again, just writing it on paper. Yeah, and we used to study fad diets when we were in training. And if you say to a person, just eat naturally, if they write every little thing they they eat, then they're going to say, I usually eat three candy bars. I'm just going to eat one because somebody's watching me. But if you say, write everything at the end of the day or every three days, they're going to forget. So keeping a good food diary is a superb idea. Well, Emily, we have to have you back. There's so many things we didn't even get to, like not all red meat is evil. It's how it's cooked. And cholesterol is um, on the rise if you're um, eating too few calories in a day. We didn't even get to reach to talk about the DASH diet and some of the other, and organic diets. What does that mean? So if somebody wanted to reach you and see you in our Philadelphia office at Jefferson or the Cherry Hill office, how would they reach you? Yeah, so the best way to, um, to reach me is to call the main number at Jefferson, which is uh, 215-955-8900. And the prompt now is prompt number one to schedule. Now, that may be changing with everything going on. Also, patients have the MyChart Jefferson app. They can schedule an appointment for me. I don't know how to do that, but it is, uh-huh. there is a prompt for scheduling, so you can schedule an appointment if you, know, if you have downloaded that app um, on that app for you to, to schedule your own appointment. Well, thank you, Emily. You are just a wealth of information. We appreciate you joining us, and we are definitely going to have you back if you're able. So thanks. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Take care. 
It was Thanks. a pleasure. Thank you. Now, your real champions. Your real champion is the Renaissance man. It might be said that music fills the gaps left by language. A certain song could cheer you up, remind you of a special moment, or make you fall in love. Personally, nothing gets me up and moving like Motown, the all-time greatest music in history. And here's the story of someone else who feels the same way. Ron Schur. He grew up in Allentown, Quakertown area. As a young boy, he wanted to play an instrument, so when the music teacher at school said there was a cello available, seven-year-old Ron was psyched. That made it easier to learn other string instruments like the upright bass and then the electric guitar like Elvis. By age 15, Rock and Ron had a band and they made their first debut. Then he came to college at Temple University in 1960, the golden age. Motown was exploding with great music, and a few years later, the Beatles came to America. Ron and his band became the backup musicians traveling with all the greats of Motown, the Temptations, the Four Tops, the Supremes, the Ronettes. Ron, can you please introduce me to my favorite, Martha and the Vandellas. He's a walking Motown museum. In between, he spent three years as production assistant for The Mike Douglas Show, a national variety show produced in Philly. His favorite comedian was the hilarious Toadie Fields. He rubbed elbows with George Carlin and the jazzy Tom Jones. But his favorite, Glenn Campbell. He invited Ron to bring his guitar and jam with him at the Warwick Hotel. But his love of the arts doesn't end there. At age 10, his uncle gave him a camera for his birthday. He learned photography, and after 25 years on the road, he switched professions from music to photography. For almost 40 years, Ron has captured memories of people from all walks of life, families, business execs, videos for court cases. Then came COVID, business shut down. How could Rock and Ron keep people smiling? The Porch Project. With social distancing, Ron invites a family to stand on their porch while he takes a family portrait with a long lens from his van at the curb. He does it for free as a thank you to healthcare workers at Jefferson, but he didn't need the pandemic to remind him to be generous. He's been donating professional photography for years. The MS Bikeathon and Walk, the Leukemia Foundation Banquet, the Celiac Walk, the National Junior Tennis and Learning nonprofit, even the day school in Ben Salem. For this man of the arts, the most important goal is to make people happy, whether it's providing a live concert or a Hollywood photo shoot, overcoming medical issues himself, Ron looks at every day as a gift. He could have retired years ago, but he still finds joy in sharing his gifts. Taking pictures from your car is a bit of a challenge, but I'm reminded of the words of the wonderful Marvin Gaye and Tammy Tyrell singing, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, to keep Ron Scher from sharing the love. We salute your real champion, Mr. Ron Scher. Next week, learn about hepatitis B and hepatitis C from nationally recognized liver disease expert, Dr. John Fankel. Tune in each Sunday night at 7 p.m. here on WPHT for Women to Watch with host Sue Rocco. Thank you, Sue, for including me as your medical editor for three years. Great news. Now Women to Watch airs in Nashville, and beginning on August 16, we're headed to the Big Apple, WABC in New York. Congrats to Sue, and thanks for taking me with you. Our website is yourradiodoctor.com, and remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.